Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good morning to you. That's my best Tom Brenneman that I can do. I know Casey's over there already, right off the rip this Monday morning, concerned about the internet, and we'll see if it works. We'll see if it doesn't. I don't know, but nonetheless, good morning. This is Off the Bench with Trace Fowler this time, presented by United Dairy Farmer. Fun fact, we just re-upped with United Dairy Farmer, so thanks not only to them, but thanks to you, because um, quite frankly, in order for us to continue to do these partnership deals, it's going to require growth, it's going to require us to show that we're actually doing a relatively decent job, and for the most part, they seem like we were doing that. So Tom's on vacation. Uh, he's kind of like a number one seed these days. But if you stick around here long enough, I'm pretty sure we're going to be similar to Gonzaga, and we will disappoint you at some point. So you've heard this before. We do this every show. You can find us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports, and by the end of the week, I think we're going to be on Twitch if we're not already on Twitch, and I'm going to try to get us on Rumble, although there's this thing on Rumble uh, that I just found out about over the weekend that you got to have five subscribers in order to be able to live stream to it. So we're going to have to figure out a way to get five subscribers in one way is just make five accounts and, and sign up for ourselves and uh, make Rumble accounts, which is what we will do. So by the end of the week, we'll be on Rumble. You can also check us out on Facebook. Just search Chatterbox Sports. And as always, we are in podcast form on all the major podcast platforms. Just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. And as he would say, you are dialed in. What a weekend of sports. You know, when we have these weekends, I typically think back to COVID for some weird reason and think about how we didn't have any of this. And this weekend was amazing. Where do we start? College basketball seems appropriate. The two powerhouses in which had the had most of the brackets had penciled in to be into the not only the final four, but to win the national championship are both out. The Alabama Crimson Tide fell to uh, San Diego State, the Mountain West, as we say around here. And the Houston Cougars, a personal favorite of mine, fell to the ever-so-quick Miami Hurricanes. Oddly enough, Miami and San Diego State, once they beat the number one seed, were both underdogs in their uh, Elite Eight to get to the Final Four matchup, and they both won. And did you know who San Diego State's all-time leading assist man is? I'll give you half a second to figure this out. Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn with 590. How do you be so talented? Sometimes I wonder about people. Another fun fact, this was the first NCAA tournament in its entire history that all number one seeds failed to advance to the Elite Eight. The Muskies, unfortunately for many of our fans, and Paul Fritchner fell short in the Sweet 16 to Texas. Adam Kunkel, though, played his heart out, and I need to give that man some props. Eight for ten from the field, and he's pretty much, he scored a game-high 21 points, and he was ready from the absolute jump. Unfortunately, Sulein Boom did not play his best, and similar to the rest of the season, if he did not play his best, Xavier did not win the basketball game. But all in all, a great first year under Sean Miller. And the other two teams filling out the Final Four were UConn and, of course, as you came to expect, FAU. Remember the team who was just a simple jump ball call and or timeout call away from being bounced in the first round? That team is in the final four. 
wild. The Owls. The Owls, Paul. Hit him with it, Paul. Do it. You don't want to go to war with the Owls. With the Owls. It was just the wrong Owls the whole time. It was always the Owls. It was always the Owls. Just the different Owls. Beautiful. Paul, that was absolutely great, A, eh, on a Monday morning, 10.05. Absolutely. Creighton. Uh, Creighton's wondering right now if I am going to bring up that weak foul call that sent them home. And I am. And we'll get into all of that. Because I seen Twitter. That Twitter was in an absolute uproar about whether it was a foul, whether it was not. And we'll have some fun talking about that. But outside of March Madness, opening day is approaching. And two of the Reds' biggest prospects in Ellie De La Cruz and Christian Encarnacion Strand will not be playing on their opening day. Uh, they have uh, some setbacks. Should we be concerned? Should we not be concerned? We'll get into that a little bit. FC Cincinnati. Can't say I watched the game, but it looks like they haven't been a fluke last year. I, I Like I said before, maybe we'll have our in-house resident, Casey McAllister, talk some football. Uh, if we have time, of course. But nonetheless, FCC won 1-0 versus Nashville, and that puts them in a single point out of first place in the Eastern Conference, and I've been told they have not lost a road game outside the playoffs, of course, since last July, I believe. Casey will get into that, possibly. For absolutely zero boxing fans outside of myself who watch this show, David Benavidez won in a unanimous decision over Caleb Plant, and now the boxing world begs of one of the biggest fights in the past 10 years with Benavidez fighting Canelo, and that probably won't happen um, because that's why boxing has zero fans. The Masters, you see the promos. I see the promos. Two weeks away, Scotty Scheffler and Rory McIlroy off of their good match play performance uh, are the early favorites at plus 750. Sam Burns won the Dell match play, and if that's of any interest to you, his odds to win the Masters are plus 3,200s. The Bengals. The Bengals still have Joe Mixon, which means it's not safe to open up Bengals Twitter. That place is dangerous, and it's, it's about as dangerous as going to White Castle a night before you have an early important meeting. Now, that's beside the terrible jokes this morning, but seriously, if you haven't been on Twitter lately, just don't go into Twitter in regards to the Bengals Twitter fandom because it's absolutely atrocious. Twitter in general, though, is slowly becoming like the new Facebook. It's, it's similar to uh, a cesspool. But I got to be honest with you guys. I love our numbers growing. I do like when our show has record crowds. But at some point, I have zero interest in talking about the NFL right now. It's brutal to talk about the NFL right now. There's not a whole lot going on. We've beat that dead horse. And if you, are the, if, if you watch this show or you're a sports fan in general and the only thing that you watch is the NFL, I'm going to tell you right now you're missing out because this weekend was absolutely electric when it comes to college basketball. And it doesn't mean you have to be a huge college basketball fan to enjoy it. I'm just telling you, it was absolutely electric. Fellas, your thoughts on, on, on honestly, the, the opening monologue in and of itself, the topics of B, but more importantly, the NFL is a little tired right now. Casey, your thoughts? <laughs> well, that's if you're not a huge giant nerd when it comes to the NFL. Um, you know, Friday, the reason why I was here for so long was because I really did some research and digging into this whole Joe Mixon thing. And I came to the conclusion that people just need to calm down. He's going to be part of this team whether we like it or not. 
Oh, you're I'm already there. Yeah, you're already, I'm already there. I'm we're going to talk about the Bengals because why not? I mean, we're not going to talk about them long. I can promise you that. But I'm just saying, you think for sure he's coming back? I don't think so. I'll be honest. I think it comes down to negotiation, and maybe they're both playing a little bit of hardball. I don't know how much leverage Joe Mixon truly has. So maybe he is going to take a pay cut. But they're not going to keep him for $12 million, Casey. Yes, they will. And let me tell you why. Oh, my God. Let me tell you why. He was top 10 in just about every metric for receiving backs. Okay. That's what we're pretty much looking for. What what did he rate in Ken Palm? Great question. I don't know. But if you extrapolate his season out, if you give him the games that he missed, which were, one, a really big game against Kansas City where Samaj P. Ryan rushed for over 105 yards, and if you give him the Bills game, which he ended up rushing for over 105 yards in the playoffs, (laughs) the dude would have had a top five would have had a top five season. So you're saying what you're saying is basically it's irrelevant who's back there. It just depends on whatever the, whether the offensive line can block or not. That's exactly what you just proved. He just said if you gave him what C- Samaj P. Ryan did, because oddly, of course, he would have done the same thing as P. Ryan would have done, then he would have had a great season. Sorry, Udia. Don't mean to do that. However, that's not how this works. I'm just saying, if they keep him for $12 million, then you know what? That's $12 million they wasted on spending on somebody else. I'm not doing this today. I am so tired of Bengals talk and, and, and Joe Mixon. I can't do it. Paul, let's get on a different subject. Yes. Paul, what do you got for me? So I got a great one for you, Trace. You ready for this one? Let's hear it. So I got back from Kansas City uh, Saturday night, probably, I don't know, 9 o'clock. Get in, walk inside the house told that there is no tv no internet there is still no tv and no internet at my house so i was without a tv to watch anything on sunday i streamed i burned through data and then yesterday i went out and watched the two march madness games uh somewhere else but i was without internet i turned through data to upload a very abbreviated rebound rundown last night and i felt like i was living in the dark ages so uh, I missed out on a lot yesterday. Did not miss out on the games, but I missed out on pretty much everything else. Well, I apologize. For that. I know it's a tough I'm, scene. I'm sorry about tough that. scene for a guy that has a uh, cable. Um, cable. I yeah. am very shocked that you lost your connection to the ability of watching television. That that seems like something when you pay 175 dollars a month, you should have that <laughs> issue. Yeah. I'm just saying. It happens like once a year. Anyway, no, it was a great weekend. Uh, a lot of great basketball, um, and I know. I mean, I've I've seen what you want to get into here, so I'm not going to spoil any of that. But it was. Right. I, I got a lot of thoughts on a lot of things here, so I'll let you go wherever you want to go with it. Well, let's get into the officiating first, because that's something that's a hot topic. That no matter what happens in any game, that's relatively close, right? If it's a if it's a close sporting event, more times than not, and I'd say that percentile is in the 90 percent range. You're going to have officiating brought up when talking about the basketball and or football and or baseball. Insert game. Here's my thought on officiating in general. All I ask for, and I know maybe it's a lot to ask, and I know it's a hard job, okay? I'm not here to say it's a hard job, but you know what? It's a job. You get paid to do the job. I'm not here to sit here and pander to the idea that these guys are trying, quote-unquote, trying their best. 
Guess what? If I'm driving over a bridge and the bridge collapse, you don't go to the engineer's office and say, well, they tried their best. That's not how this works. Okay. You should be held accountable when you don't do your job well. And I'm not suggesting that that specific call in the Creighton game warrants that type of, of, of kind of rhetoric perhaps. But I do think that when you officiate a game, I want it to be consistent. It's a, it's that simple. It's that simple. It doesn't mean that I, I want the rules to be called exactly how the rules are maybe laid out in the book. I just want a foul in the first minute to be a foul in the, in the, in the 40th minute. And I don't think that happened yesterday. I don't think that it did. I'm not suggesting that in the rule book, you might be able to say that that was a foul or not a foul. That That's to be determined by somebody else. But when we have these flop calls in November being called at a regular basis and they were called correctly, and then all of a sudden the NCAA tournament rolls around, Paul, and there hasn't been a flop call called in what seems like the last 90 days of watching college basketball, well, I have an issue with that. I have an issue with the idea that we know we have a problem in this game, and then when the, when the stakes become the highest, we stop calling it. Why? Because situations matter. And I'm sick and tired of getting on Twitter and hearing people's argument of saying, well, a foul is a foul. If you call it in the first minute, you should call it in a tie game in double, triple, quadruple overtime in the last five seconds. I disagree. Maybe that makes me wrong, but I disagree. I don't find the idea of rules being the same all the time. You have to feel out the situation. You have to be 100% certain if you're going to make a holding call in the Super Bowl that it's, that it's aggressive and it would have made a 100% difference. If you're going to call a foul on the kid from Creighton in the lane, you better damn well know that it was a foul. It shouldn't require us to go to replay and double-check it from three different angles to know whether or not it was a foul because when you slow anything down, when you slow anything down all the way down to the, the, the umpteenth degree, Paul and Casey, if you watch that game, it, it is always going to look like a little more contact than there really truly was. If you did that every single play of the game, I'm telling you right now, San Diego State's whole team would have fouled out. Whole team would have fouled out. Now, I'm not taking anything away from San Diego State. I'm just saying that we need to get ourselves in a position where we need to call the game consistently. And these refs need to be held accountable. It's, just, it's, it's, it's relatively that simple for me. I don't know how you feel about it, Paul. I haven't really talked to you about this at all. I know that, that, that you got on Twitter and kind of went back and forth with some people. Where are you at on that situation and, and your thoughts well, about it? I, I'm tough because I think it was – usually I would agree with you. Usually I would not want the officials – I'm not a fan of the officiating anyway. I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I'm always talking about the officiating and, and everything like that. I think college basketball does have a major officiating problem, but part of that is because there's just so many games and so many officials that you need to have to officiate this sport – you're going to run into some inconsistency. But the way I looked at it yesterday, it's tough because, like I said, usually I would be with you where I don't want them to call a foul at the very end of the game um, to decide a game like that. But the problem was that yesterday's to me, felt so obvious that I, I understand where you have to call it. I mean, Nemhard had his hand on his hip, kind of pulled him as he was going up. I get that it was a foul. I don't like it. I wish that a game like that that's so back and forth with the trip to the Final Four 
doesn't get decided at the free throw line. Um, credit to to the guy for stepping up there and making it. Um, but I, I just – it's just frustrating to watch a game like that. Again, where they allow so much contact throughout the game to then have that kind of a call be what decides it at the very end. Nobody's going to get upset if they don't call that foul. Maybe some San Diego State fans will sit there and say, ah, come on, like that could have been a foul or whatever, and then you go to overtime. And who knows? San Diego State maybe wins in overtime. But it just, to me, feels like such a letdown. And, and, and actually what I tweeted, I'm glad you brought that up, what I tweeted was, and, and I think it got a little misconstrued, was I felt bad that the whole last 30 seconds ended the way that they did. I mean, I, I looked at my phone. It was 420. It was 420. I looked at my phone. There were 33.7 seconds left. I was sitting with one of my friends watching a game. I said, how long do you want to think these last 33 seconds takes? He bet five minutes. They took 17 minutes to play those last 33 seconds of that game. And it just took all of the energy out of such a fun ending to two teams going back and forth, San Diego State getting them to play at their style, all those things that happened in that game. And then you get down to it. Shireman gets the steal off the inbound, lays it up. The, the other thing, too, was Creighton giving that foul with four seconds left on the shot clock where it didn't feel like that possession was really going anywhere. That's a different different discussion, though. But it just it was a frustrating, really frustrating way to end that game. Whether you think it's a foul or not, whether you think there should have been three-tenths of a second left on the clock or not for a chance to have a tip in at the buzzer, whatever you think, just a really frustrating and clunky way to end what could have been a, a really good ending to a game. And I think that's very nice of you to say that you that you felt like it was a foul. I, I just don't. I, I know that people say, well, he grabbed him, he pulled him down. I'm telling you right now, when you slow things down, it, it everything looks like it's a foul. Every little jersey tug looks it, it yeah. looks exacerbated. It's and, and I'm not saying you're right or wrong. It's an opinion-based thing. I'm just saying that that – that call has not been made for most of the game, if at all. If it at just, all. It, it just yeah. hasn't been. If yeah. you went down every possession and you slowed down every possession, that call hardly ever gets made. And that's the main problem I have with it. And for those that you sit there and say, well, foul in the first minute is, is the same as the foul in the last minute. I, I'll get on board with that as soon as they start replaying and, the, and you're allowed to go to the monitors for every single possession of the entire game. Why is it this? Why is it just weird that the last two minutes of a game they start reviewing the in, in, in you know the the inbound out of bounds calls under the monitor and they don't do it for the rest of the game because the last two minutes are magnifying they're a little more important they should be officiated a little bit differently I'm not saying a ton differently just a little bit differently. Anyway, I digress. One guy that's impressed me this March Madness, not just in this Final Four run, but just throughout the last few games I've watched him, is Dusty May. And it's largely not because of anything he's doing from an X and O's perspective. It's not anything that he's doing um, really on the court. It's mostly his persona. It's the way he acts. It's, it's how calm, cool, and collected he is. And I've always wondered, what's the best angle? Where's the Maybe you, the easy answer is right in the middle. But... A fun thing to think about is, is what kind of coach would you prefer? Do you want someone that's intense, fiery, like a Mick Cronin, who I used to not – I couldn't stand Mick when he would do this because I felt like he never got the most out of his players because when you scream and yell at guys all day long, and inevitably I feel like guys are going to play scared, they're going to play tense, and they're not going to play up to their full ab ability. Bob Knight was the same way, but they had some success. Mick's had some success. 
Then you see a guy like Jay Wright, and you're like, wow, that guy hardly ever yells about anything, and he has success. Dusty May, same same thing. Um, you could take it into football, quite frankly, right? What's the one thing that everybody knocks Zach Taylor for, for the most part, right? Is he's not really a, a rah-rah guy all the time, although from time to time he does get that way. What would you prefer to have? Um, I typically have always said I would rather have the calm, cool, and collected guy. We'll make it a quick little poll between the office mates here. What uh, If you had to pick one, which, which one are you picking? I mean, I'm picking calm, collected during the game, fiery at practice. That's what I would want if I was an athlete. I'm, I'm trying to think of examples here, and I'm thinking, for instance, would I rather have a Jay Wright or a, you know, a Mick Cronin or a like a Bruce Pearl. I would, I would pick Jay Wright. Now I'm not obviously, I'm not saying like yeah, coach. I'm not, I'm it. not saying like coaching pedigree. Obviously, you'd rather have Jay Wright. I'm saying Jay Wright was somebody. I mean, if you go back and watch the 2016 buzzer beater, he didn't even react. Just totally calm, cool, and collected under the circumstances. I would take a Jay Wright type because. Because, to me, when you're a calm, cool, and collected all the time, that gives you the opportunity to then get fiery and your guys respond to it. But if you're fiery all the time, like if you're like Eric Musselman, right. where you're just an energizer bunny 24-7, then when you try to take it to the next level, your guys are like, all right, is this just, is this just our guy being outrageous here? What's going on? Whereas if Jay Wright loses his shit and breaks a cle- – oh, my bad. No, you're fine. If he loses it and breaks a clipboard, all the guys are like, whoa. Right. This means something here. So. Love it. I also love that you had to, that you felt the need oh, to Oh, this is a kid's show. It's a kid's, kid's show. show. Uh, how fun was Noel from Kansas State? I mean, that kid played his absolute tail off this entire weekend and then – it <laughs> came down to the end and it just it it realized it just made me realize that sometimes maybe I'm being too harsh here I do think that he thought about the moment for a half a second and and he gave the ball away maybe I'm not, I'm not trying to crush the kid I thought the kid played unbelievably well they would have never been in the position they were in if it wasn't for him but for a guy that took 45-foot shots all over the place, took what many would consider quote-unquote bad shots all the time, for him to turn down the opportunity to shoot another one of those types of shots, I just don't, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And Kansas State didn't even get a shot up, which makes it even worse. But there's another kid in this tournament that impressed the hell out of me, and he's not even a guy that really is a, is is quote-unquote, one of the stars of the tournament, and that is uh, Michael Forrest. If you don't know who Michael Forrest is, he is FAU's lone guy that is not eligible to come back. He is their senior, and I'm not talking, you know, when you use senior these days, you don't know if they're coming back or not coming back. This guy's out of eligibility. He walked up to the free throw line not one time, but two times with the game on the line and made both, all four free throws. Both pairs. And I don't think he even hit the rim, Paul. Did you get an opportunity to see that and watch that? Uh, no, I actually just pulled it up. I was listening in the car. We were driving home. We were That was the only game we didn't see this weekend. I, we were driving home. But it was funny. As we were sitting in the car, 
uh, Michael Forrest stepped to the line, and it was a tie game, right? Or were they were they trailing? Or it was a tie game. Either way, he steps to the line. He has to make these free throws. And one of my friends that I was driving home, I said, man, what a situation. He goes, no chance he makes them both. Boom, makes them both. Steps to the line again. My friend goes, no chance he makes them both. Boom, makes them both. I mean, it was just a situation like that where you have to step to the line and, and step up for your team, and he did it in a massive way on the biggest stage at Madison Square Garden. What a what a performance. I mean, he – Yeah. You, to, to win the game for your team like that at the free throw line on college basketball's biggest stage at, at the world's most famous arena is just unbelievable. And I don't – I don't like saying unbelievable because obviously we saw it, but boy, was that something. That was crazy. Yeah, and I don't think many probably uh, – the casual fan probably wouldn't have appreciated what he did, but knowing the stakes, he knew the stakes. He knew what it meant to hit those free throws. It was a trip to the Final Four. He misses the the just one of those free throws, and – they have they have a legitimate chance to to not only go to overtime but they have a legitimate chance to lose the game and he didn't even look like it genuinely looked like he was shooting to figure out who was getting the ball at the YMCA like you know hey shoot to see who gets ball and he he didn't even hit the rim which again maybe I'm overstating that the idea of just walking to the line four straight times with the game on the line and not even touching the rim is wild to me bonkers because yeah. you got to think about it it's one thing to hit the game-winning shot because more times than not when you're hitting a game-winning shot, you're in the moment, you're playing the game, you're not really thinking of the magnitude of the shot, I guess unless you're Noel possibly. And I don't mean to keep crushing that kid, but man, my gosh, what are you – you got to shoot the ball. But overall, this tournament has been unbelievable. Unbelievable. We say that every single year, but this year there's facts to back it up, right? It's the first time that a number one seed's never made the Elite Eight. It's – it's it's you look around the final four and in this office's bracket pool, Reed Mouse came in here right before the show started and said, How many people do you think even have a team, a single team left in the final four? I got and one. I think there was two people in the in the pool. I got one. Yukon. And Yukon's the only team yeah. that everybody has. Yeah. So I um I don't know. Is this more of the norm? You remember when we you you remember when the uh, transfer portal and the NIL became a thing, and the and the first thing that everybody jumped to conclusion and said with NIL was what the rich are going to get richer, right? The big schools now with NIL are going to be able to pay these guys an abundant abundant amount more, and they're going to become better than everybody. All the blue bloods: Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, Carolina. Not Michigan State. Um, they're they're going to hold all the advantages. When in, when in fact, I I don't want to say the opposite is true because that would be a little bit too 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 much of a, a lean one way over the other. But I do think we're in a position now where the the internet, the ability to be able to see film all times of the day, the ability to be able to when I say internet communicate with people like that and the exposure of all these different brands and schools 
is leading to the opportunity of an FAU, is leading to the opportunity of San Diego State's been a good program for a long time. So I'm not going to say it and act like it's just because of NIL. That'd be ridiculous. In fact, one would make the argument that in 2020, San Diego State had every opportunity to make the Final Four that year, just like every other team in the world I know. Dayton would like to have a word. Creighton would like to have a word. But I, I don't know if I prefer it this way. But I'm going to try to enjoy this Final Four. I sat up here. I don't know what day that was. You guys can remind me. I don't know if it was Wednesday or Friday of last week. And I said, the last thing I hope happen, hap, gee, me, Christmas. Let me try this again. The last thing that I hope happens is a bunch of upsets. And what did we get? We got nothing but upsets. I wanted nothing more than to see Houston play Alabama and just absolutely have, like, just a rock fight. But... To be quite frank, Houston wasn't playing their best basketball. Nope. And Alabama got themselves into an, an into a rock fight. And guess who won? The team that was used to being in rock fights. Yeah, and people, a lot of people are talking, obviously, about FAU. And it's funny looking back at some of the pictures. I mean, Rick Broing posted a picture from when Northern Kentucky played down at FAU in December. And it was an empty gym. I think you could probably count five people in the stands in a tiny little high school gym down there in Boca Raton. But... As I said on, on the rebound rundown today, this FAU team and this run is a Cinderella run and only because they are not a big-name brand. They were higher in the net and in Ken Palm before the tournament started than all of these teams. Miami, who's in the Final Four, Virginia, Kentucky, TCU, Indiana, Michigan State, Northwestern, and Missouri. All four... Final four teams were in the final top 25 poll of the season. So this is not like these teams are suddenly coming out of nowhere and it's George Mason 2006 or it's VCU 2011 or it's Butler to the national championship. This is not that. The only reason that this feels crazy is because it's San Diego State and it's FAU teams that you don't know. Of. But like if you're, if you're really in the weeds watching college basketball all year, FAU has won 35 games now, whatever. You don't win 35 games on accident. I know you're not beating 35 high major teams, but you don't win 35 games by accident. They are a very, very, very good team. And I thought it was great. I, I haven't read the article yet, but there was a headline that in the locker room after the game yesterday, um, in the NCAA tournament's open locker rooms, the reporters can go in, talk to the players whenever they want, whatever, as soon as the game's over, basically. And on the whiteboard in the locker room, Dusty May had written uh, something to the effect of great matchup and underlined it in the locker room. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, yeah, Kansas State, I mean, FAU's gotten to this point. And I, I saw your tweet, too, and I brought this up in the car on the way home uh, from Kansas City. I'm glad you tweeted it because it reminded me to bring it up. FAU had the exact same path as a number one seed in this tournament. It was a little reversed. But they beat an 8 seed, then they beat a 16 seed. If you're a 1 seed, you play the 16 seed first, then you play the 8-9 game. But from there, they played a 4 seed Tennessee, and they play a 3 seed Kansas State. The only way that if they were a 1 seed that that could have been harder in effect was if they had played Marquette instead of Kansas State. But who cares? A 2 and a 3 seed, what's the difference at that point? Right. Like, Kansas, they, they, they did not fluke their way into playing uh, – uh, you know, I know they got the 16 seed. They didn't play Purdue, but 
who's to say the way this team's playing that they wouldn't have beaten Purdue? I mean, if FDU can do it, why couldn't have FAU done it? So, uh, yeah, just just a, a, a crazy, crazy time there. And if it's FAU and Miami, two Florida teams, regional rivalry. That's what they always say about those teams. <laughs> yeah, I bet they have a long – a long-standing tradition of basketball rivalry between the Hurricanes. I'm, I'm just excited. And the Owls. For, I'm just excited for all of the Miami college students that spent all weekend at Ultra, right. just like doing the craziest things that they don't even remember from this weekend. And now all of a sudden, they're going to wake up on Monday morning and go, "Oh, I guess we got to go to Houston and party for the week." Yeah. Our team's what? They're in the what? Miami, for sure, is probably not a basketball school, as we all know. In fact, there was one year where, not to get sidetracked on a bunch of stories, but there was a year where if you're looking to go to a regional final uh, or and or the, the Elite Eight games, um, find you a regional that Miami's in. Because if Miami's in a regional and it's not in South Florida, the, the chances of the ticket prices for that regional are incredibly low. Trace, I saw like four Miami fans all weekend. They went to the Final Four. Yeah. You know, that brings up another point. Jim Laranega deserves his flowers. Because there's not too many guys that take not only one team to the Final Four at George Mason, but they take another team to the Final Four at Miami. He's done this at George Mason, which that's no disrespect. George Mason's been a decent program, but one would argue it's largely because of him. Yeah, because and, of that. And then the second thing would be Miami. Is there any difference between Miami and South Carolina as far as basketball goes? Uh, good question. I, I think that answers the point. It's not a huge difference if there is one. I think it can't go unstated how much of an impact Jim Laranega obviously has when he goes to a basketball school. And if he went to a blue blood, one would argue what, what would have happened. You know, I think that his name doesn't get brought up all that often when you talk about some of the great coaches that we have. Um, obviously, you bring up the selves of the world. You bring up, you know, like it or not, at Kentucky, but Calipari's name is going to get thrown in that mix from time to time. I know I'm going to miss a bunch of guys, but Jay Wright was a Rick part of that Patino. conversation. Rick Patino was without question a part of that conversation. But Jim Laranega's name should be brought up when we talk about those types of, of coaches from here, here on out moving forward. Um, do you think that there's any fluke involved with Miami? Because there's not. I thought maybe there was, but there's not. I have to admit that chat was right. Sir Boy Wonder's been on these guys for a long time. We've talked about it, or you guys have talked about it. I don't want to take any credit for it because I've kept hearing this ACC team was good. This ACC team was good. And I just kind of shrugged it off for a while. Like, ah, yeah, well, they're in the ACC. This team's good. And Miami's one of those clubs that we want to talk about a pathway. They had the hardest pathway, I think, of anybody. If yeah. you want to get down to it. They did. Um, Miami, let's roll back the tape. I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head. Miami was 90% chance of losing, like I said before, to Drake in the first round. Drake was one of those teams that everyone had as a possibly an upset. Which, by the way... For all of the 12-5 people out there that are like, oh, 12 beats a 5 every year, guaranteed didn't happen this year. Two of the 5s are in the Final Four. Just remember that for next year moving forward. However, Miami beats Drake. They turn around, and then they have to play Indiana. Indiana. Four seed. Top seed they could possibly play, they play Indiana. They play the hardest possible. Player. They then move on. They have to play the one seed, 
right? In Houston, hardest seed you could possibly play in their region. They beat Houston. They then have to turn around and they have to play a Texas team who's playing incredibly well. They have to not only play Texas who's playing well, they have to play Texas in the T-Mobile Center. So if you don't know, I believe that there's some teams that get hot in a specific gym, arena, whatever you want to call it, and they just like that place. For whatever reason, the people on their team, they like the angles, they like the, 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 the depth perception, if you will, of the rims. They like the arena. And I'm here to tell you, Texas was the team that played the best in that arena over a three-week stretch. And the reason I say three weeks is because the Big 12 championship was also in the T-Mobile Center in Kansas City, for those that are not keeping up with that. And the thing is, is that they got lucky. Well, not lucky, but they earned the right to play in the T-Mobile Center for the regional. And they were playing incredibly well. Now, the only thing I'll say is that they also probably, one would argue, should have won that game against Miami. They let it slip away a little bit. I don't want to say they choked, but that's the term that comes to mind. I don't know if you're ready to get into the Xavier game, Paul. We can save yeah. that for another day. No, yeah, we, could, we but, can talk about it. But I don't think Xavier played all that bad outside of the first six minutes. And that's the struggle with Xavier. Xavier was in a position to win that game if they just played okay for the first six minutes. And as much as I like Jack Nungy, I think Jack Nungy's an incredible player. He just had a bad four or five minutes. That's all it was. He, could, he couldn't buy a basket. He got leverage. He got position. He just had one of those games, and it happens to every athlete. You, you can't miss your first five or six bunnies of a game, and Texas starts making a couple shots and expect yourself to get back in a basketball game. I think Xavier, again, I've said it all in this broadcast before. I think they were a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde team, but I do genuinely think they were a good team. I don't think that their one performance led to them being frauds. But for whatever reason, and I don't know why, do I think that they could win without Sule Boom? I, I think they could. If, 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 put it this way. If, if Kunkel is going to play the way that he played in that basketball game, they could win despite Sule Boom playing poorly. However, no one else really stepped up in place of Sule outside of Kunkel, right? And I know maybe I'm too hard on Kobe, uh, Colby. And I and I and I and I feel like I I just I just don't think that Colby, for as much as he gets his praise, ever really decided to put the team on his back when the meaning when it when it meant the most. And maybe I'm wrong on that because I haven't watched every minute of Xavier basketball. Yeah. But for a guy that was touted to be an NBA player, he never looked like an NBA player to me in the big moments, Paul. Yeah, I would say that he did in the Big East tournament. Um, he did it at certain points in the first weekend. The problem here with the game against Texas was it felt to me like Jack Nunji knew that he needed to have the game of his life. And maybe the pressure got to him. Maybe he was trying too hard. Maybe he just had an off night. I don't know what it was. But it was so abundantly clear that he knew – that he had he was the key to the game because he kept getting such good position down low on the block by the basket he was getting exactly the types of looks that Xavier needed 
and he just wasn't converting. And it's tough when you get down there to that point because it was 6-0 Texas, it was 12-5 Texas, and then it was 14-10. And you're thinking to yourself, all right, well, this isn't, like, this is manageable. And Serge Barry Rice picked up two quick fouls. Texas had four fouls in the first, I think, six minutes of the game. Dylan DeSue went out. And I actually had somebody text me, somebody that, I mean, a, a very prominent uh, Xavier person texted me and, and during at that point and said, has Xavier ever been as close to a national championship as they are right now? Like with the way the bracket had broken, they've already beaten UConn twice. Maybe you, you play Miami, whatever, and, and you can get to the final four. Somebody texted me and said, has Xavier ever been as close to a national championship as they are in, in that exact moment at the under 12 timeout of the first half of that Texas game when Dylan DeSue was out. It looked like Xavier was playing well enough to potentially win the game. They just weren't hitting shots at that point. You're thinking, well, all Xavier's done all year is play well offensively. And then they just they just got blown out. And, and at halftime, you know, I, I kind of – Adam Baum and I were sitting next to each other, and I, he looked at me, and we both kind of said to each other, this goes one of two ways. Xavier, Xavier either makes this a game or they get blown out. They ended up cutting it down to 12, but, I mean, either way, it got up. It ballooned up. It, it was not a 12-point game. It ballooned above 20, and, and Xavier kind of made a little run there at the end. But um, I, what was tough was seeing – and this is really getting into the into the dirt of, of college basketball analytics – but seeing shot quality, which is basically just a, a, a way to look at how, how good of a shot you're taking throughout the game. Texas won by two points based on just the quality of shots that the teams took in that game. Xavier had so many chances around the rim. I, I really don't think that the that the defense was what let Xavier down in this game. I think, again, it was the offense that just didn't come through in the first half because they scored, what, 46 points in the second half, whatever it was. So I, I don't think it was – I don't think it was the offense that let – or the defense that let Xavier down here. I think – there was just a big swing because with about three minutes left in the first half, it was a 13 or 14 point game. And you're thinking, all right, maybe you cut it down to like eight or nine here and you got yourself a game. Then Marcus Carr at the end of the shot clock throws up a Hail Mary. It goes in. Xavier misses a couple of layups. Come back down the other way. I think it was uh, Timmy Allen hits that half court shot at the buzzer. And they're up 17. And at that point, you're just thinking – Look, they came back from 13 down against Kennesaw State, but this is not Kennesaw State. This is Texas. Yeah, and I think the difficult part for Xavier is that it's you might not say that, that they lost because of defense, but it's hard to get back in a basketball game with the, with the quality of defense that Xavier plays. And that doesn't yeah. mean to, that doesn't mean to crush Xavier. I'm not trying to stomp on him or anything like that, but at the end of the day, it's it's very difficult to get yourself back into a basketball game when you give up an easy layup from time to time yeah. like they traditionally would have done. Um, all right. There's one other, uh, and I'm being serious when I say this, there's one other player that if you've not seen play, I, I would, I'm, I'm encouraging you to find a way to either DVR it and, or set aside some time and watch this girl play. Yes, it's a girl. Caitlin Clark. I don't know if you've seen her. I don't know if you know her. I don't even know if you've seen what she did to get to the final four. But she is, as, she is as entertaining of a player as you're going to find in college basketball on both levels, men's and women's. And 
Paul, I don't know if you've even seen. I know you're a Caitlin Clark fan. I don't even know if you've seen what she did. But she scored 41 points, 12 assists, 10 rebounds in the Elite Eight to get to the Final Four. This girl, and I, I, maybe I'm overselling it to a small extent here. She reminds me of Steph Curry a little bit when you watch her. She does. So right, in, right as you were about to make that point, I saw a tweet from Jeff Goodman that said, Caitlin Clark's the most exciting player to watch in college basketball, men's or women's. And you and I have been talking about Caitlin Clark all season. I mean, she's been great last few seasons, but this season especially, it seems like in every big moment, at every point when Iowa needs somebody to make a play, Caitlin Clark steps up and makes a play, and she is electric. She is so fun to watch. And what a run she's been on in this tournament. What a run. I haven't been able to watch much of her, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I see the highlights. I, you know, I, I see the stats. I see the box scores and everything. But I haven't been able to sit down and watch a full game of Iowa in this tournament. Uh, but what I have seen of everything with the highlights and everything else, it's, a, it's pure electricity. And it's great for the women's game. It, it's great. And this is not, it's not like a token... No, oh, hell no. Like I, it, I'd be the first to tell you that women's it, basketball is like watching paint dry 90, 99% of the time. And I know I'll get crushed for saying that. But genuinely, that is what it is. There's a reason that the ratings for the women's is very relatively low because the level of basketball being played is not as high as the men. But I'm telling you, if anything, that should bode well for me what I'm about to say about Caitlin Clark. She is as fun to watch as anybody. She, she is so skilled and talented. That if she were a, you know, if she were a, a, a basically had the qualities of a man, if she played the men's game based off of her skill set, she'd be the number one pick in the NBA draft. Like that's how good she She's is. She's awesome. She's so great to watch. I mean, really, you turn on a, an Iowa women's game, and you just know you're gonna see something because she's so consistent too. It's not like she has a good game and eh, maybe not here. It's consistent, game after game after game. She steps up for him, and she's awesome. Other topics, FC Cincinnati, and let's talk about this for every bit of three minutes. Let's go, Casey. Casey? Yeah. For those that don't care, like yours truly, for the many in the chat that probably could care less, you got three minutes to let us know what our FC Cincinnati update is and what you feel and how you feel about our, what would it be, orange and blue. The orange and blue. Um, yeah, they really struggled in the first half. Um, I mean, they were outshot. I think it, I think the stat said 15 to 3. Um, just in the first half alone, they really struggled. Um, but coming out of the half, they had a quick, quick score in the 48th minute and never looked back from there. And their defense, which has been the struggle for FC, managed to get them out of this game. And – they had their shots. Um, they played a whole lot better in the second half. Um, but they have not lost a game. And I know they drew six times in that span um, since July. They are 3-0-6 since last July, which is really, really incredible. Um, I mean, this team has what it, has what it takes to, to make a deep push again. In my opinion, I think they've got enough talent now to be true competitors for the championship. Um, if you're looking ahead to next week, I think they play Miami. They're going to be favored in that game. 
Um, I expect them to come away with a win. That's your quick three-minute update. That was like a minute game. and a half. You got you got more Beautiful. time, Casey, if you want. Well, Casey, I, I got one quick question. Yeah. I, I, this came in my head when you said that they played really poor in the first half. They won one to nothing. Yeah. How can they? Pl- how could you play so poorly when you don't even give up a goal? Just, I'm being honest. I mean, I, well, I don't, I don't I, know enough about the I, game. I guess it just the way you look at it. I mean, they were really poor on offense in the first half, and they continued that great defensive game plan into the second. So that's why I'm kind of gotcha. saying they played. Are really they? Poorly. Are they? Are they? The, are they peak Mick Cronin Cincinnati Bearcats? Is that who they are? Mm. They just muck it up. Many rafts. Muck it up. No, they are not. They are not known as a, this defensive team. They're known as offense, offense, offense. Um, but you know they um, they've been playing a lot better in transition as of late, and I think that that was the biggest weakness was when they would make this huge offensive push, they just couldn't seem to defend that transition well. They got a lot of fast breaks scored on them, yeah, and they've just been doing a lot better in that department. I don't know exactly. I couldn't tell you schematically what's going on there or if it's just a stroke of luck. But as of right now, FC has been playing a lot better on defense. Their offense has been playing relatively the same or if not better. And they've had opportunities just not going the goal. I mean. What's it cost to get into a game? Like 50 bucks. How much? 50 bucks. What? 50 bucks? To get into an FC game? Well, it's a lot less than that. But if you want a good seat, it's like fifty bucks. Oh. You want like right smack dab in the middle of the yeah, I, field, yeah. I'm not. Bucks. I'm not. I'm. Okay. I mean, I plan on going to one game a year. So if I'm gonna go, I'm probably gonna try to get decent seats. And I, I, I have a general idea of what I'm watching. But I'm, I'm just there for the ambiance, the atmosphere. I'm the people sitting in the, uh, the moon deck, out at a Reds game, and they're they're just eating their popcorn and they're chatting it up with their their friends and. They're asking, you know, a thousand questions. I won't be asking a thousand questions, but I'll be as clueless as those people when they go to a game. Just like, oh, is this guy any good? What are the chances? Radar gun, 102 mile an hour. What are the chances we get Tom Brennan into a game? Um, he's a soccer guy. He said he was a soccer guy. Remember, he played soccer. He likes soccer. I don't like soccer, but I'll I'll try to appreciate it from time to time. The Reds. Opening days on Thursday, guys. We have uh, Chatterbox Reds. Nick Kirby's been doing a great job with that. If you've not subscribed to that podcast, please do. And also this week, uh, there are a lot of things that are going to happen with Chatterbox Reds. But I want to get into something with Ellie De La Cruz and Christian Carnacion Strand. Both are going to start the season on the IL. Not ideal news. I don't know what to make of it. I do, I do have some slight concern. Because anytime guys that are relatively important aren't going to be playing when they're supposed to be playing... There's, there's to be cause for some concern. But I also realize that if this was the playoffs in the big leagues, these guys might be playing. So how much, how much do we actually you know, concern ourselves over it or we don't? Encarnacion Strand is probably my bigger concern of the two. Dele Cruz, if you did not know, has a little bit of a hamstring situation going on. So he's just going to make sure that he's going to be precautious and make sure that he doesn't do anything to uh, exacerbate his situation. But Encarnacion Strand, anytime you hear the term herniated disc in your back, I don't care what it is. That's a little concerning. 
Um, I'm not going to go and scream to the heavens and say, oh, we're cursed and this is terrible. And next thing you know, the, the sky is falling. But I'm a little concerned. The other thing I'm relatively concerned about is that Connor Overton is the uh, fourth starter for this baseball team. I don't know if you've seen Connor Overton, but I'm not sure he's going to get many guys out. <laughs> and, and when you're a pitcher, that's important. And the problem is, is that I don't know what expectations we should have going into this year. You've heard me say this from time to time again. I, I, don't, I don't know. But I will tell you something from none other than C. Trent Rosecrans from, a, you know, you know where I'm going with this, The Athletic, because they don't pay us to run the show, but Tom likes them so much, we just bring them up every single day. Every day. The Athletic. Since 1945, the Reds this year, are going to have four pitchers with the least combined innings to start a year in Major League Baseball since 1945. Now, some of that is obviously the youth. We all know Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, and Graham Ashcraft are young guys. They haven't had a lot of innings. We think they're very, very good, and that is good news. But you add in Connor Overton, and the Reds sit at 328, or excuse me, 382 innings pitched it's tough 382 innings pitch the guy that is going to be the uh what do they call the guy within the parade I, i'm drawing a blank here the the the, the grand marshal oh, oh struggle fest oh our grand marshal threw 200 innings a year in bronson Arroyo, and we got Four starting pitchers that are going to come out here in their career with 382 innings. <laughs> Not ideal. I don't care what anyone says. But we'll see how it goes. My expectations are incredibly low. Which means it should be a good season. If you come into this season with any expectations, not good. I got a question. Because... You know, I'm Reed Mouse just broke news, and it's the NFL, of course. And that's what we're going to ultimately end up talking about. Lamar Jackson has requested a trade. Well, that's not really breaking, is it? That's what he said. Don't know if it's breaking or not. If it's not breaking, then it's relative news. Here's the thing about Lamar Jackson. I went on this take the other day. It's, it's irrelevant, folks. It's irrelevant. You, got, you have to be desired by someone else in order for a trade to make sense. And I don't think that it's going to happen... It has no chance of happening at this current moment. Casey, correct me if I'm wrong, but he, for the most part, teams already had an opportunity to go get him if they truly wanted him. Right. Based off the fact that he was unrestricted. I, yeah, I'm confused because his ta he was tagged, and then they have to get if the other team wants to get him, it's two first round picks. That's the trade, like that. Yeah, so basically the, the, the only way he gets traded is if is if the Ravens decide he's not worth two first-round picks right. and they're willing to trade him away for that. Yeah, if they think that that they can trade him for less than first two first-round picks, I just, I don't know. It seems odd to me. Seems very odd. Maybe he plans to sign the tag and then then they can request a trade. For less than two first rounds, I, I don't know. That might be where it's heading. I could see that, but it doesn't make sense. 
I think if a team wanted him, they would have traded two first rounders for him. If you ask me, but I... Lamar Jackson's other issue is that you have to build an offense around him a little bit too, right? I didn't even get into that the other day. But many people would say for Lamar Jackson to be successful, you have to you ha- you have to to surround himself with talent that fits the mold of what he is, which is a running quarterback. You can't just plop him into a West Coast offense and say, hey, have at it. Let it rip. Lamar Jackson, uh, right now, needs to take a long, hard look in the mirror and ask himself what he wants. Because if he wants a fair deal, I think that he can get a fair deal done. And the longer this goes on, the worse it gets for him. The worse it looks for his character, in my opinion. Say whatever you want, but anytime you hold out, even though the owners are millionaires, billionaires, it always falls back from a fan perspective on the player. They're the ones that get hit the the most. So, and, and I know Jesse Bates didn't really hold out that long, but listen, if Jesse Bates held out three, four, five, six games into the regular season, and they were in, in the Bengals started losing because they were struggling on the back end of their defense, guess who's taking the taking the hit on that? Jesse Bates is taking a hit on that. Lamar Jackson, at some point, if he does this holdout thing, is going to be viewed upon as not a team guy. He already, to a small extent, in my opinion, has. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, not going to the playoff game was huge. I think uh, there's a lot of uh, disgruntled teammates, um, including the ownership, of course, and the coaching. Just because, you know... You're in a contract dispute, but you have a chance to make the playoffs. I think you should at least go if you're, even if you're injured, to see if your team can win or not. Even if you don't plan on travel, play. you're talking yeah, about make the just, trip. Just travel. Yeah, you travel, trip. make the trip. You you be a part of the team. You're cheering them on, and uh, he didn't do that. Let's get back into the Reds really quickly. Reed Mouse, of course, is the Debbie Downer of the Cincinnati Reds because he's a fan of the Chicago Cubs, who has a a, a lot of uh, a lot of history of winning in Chicago. Nick Kirby just texted us this graphic to put up. So here's our schedule for the week. Yep. Uh, with Chatterbox Reds. Trace, I didn't know if you wanted to talk about this a little bit. Yeah, I'll jump through this. For those that don't know, Twitter Spaces, um, it's just an easy way to jump on and be able to talk. Um, you can jump in, ask questions here nor there. As far as the podcast codes, you can see all there uh, are all of the guests he has on. And we are going to do a Reds opening day Eve show, as you can see. On Wednesday night, uh, we do have some pretty sizable guests, as I would say, on that show. We'll have fun. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of what the season looks like, what's to come to expect, some things to look out for. And as I've said before, moving forward, we'll be down live at Moreline on Reds opening day. For those that, that missed the show on Friday, we will do off the bench at 10 a.m. right out of Moreline, and then we'll obviously move right into uh, – uh, a little bit of a post-game show, however that may look on the first day from Moreline as well, from our perspective. I still got to figure out if I'm going to go into the, the into the game. Well, that's what I, I got. I, I, Are I we just all don't, going to the game? Or I like- don't know what we do here. Um, 
But as far as the uh, as as far as the, the Reds opening day goes, I I would like to think that we would would go into the stadium, um, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I I don't know I don't know what the plan is with going in or not. I I feel like I I got offered a ticket last week, then it got taken away, then I got it offered another ticket, and it got taken away, and I I'm like, are we going in? Are we not going in? What are we doing here? Good question. It's a live on the air decision. Live on the air. Are we all decision. doing it together? Or yeah, I mean, are you all if, with if, your if, friends and I, we're all just yeah. in and then we meet back up after? Like, I say, if we can find some tickets together, I'm I'm willing to go in. We do have a situation where at Moraline, the video board's going to be there. Somebody's going to have to stay back. We'll figure out who that is and, and, and kind of handle that situation with the with the the video board. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I get why people don't want to go down to Great American Ballpark. I'm not naive here. It's the weather. Um, even if the weather's great, I still think it'll be a sizable difference as to what as to what it used to be or what it once was. And sunny. That's that's a hell of a day. Um, but it just goes back to the, the the case in point that I had made before is if you have reasonable expectations going into this year. Then I think that you could you could somewhat enjoy it. If you're going to look at it from a wins and losses perspective, it's going to be a it's going to be a it's going to be a difficult year to watch. Um, Sir Boy says it's officially a sellout. Yeah, I I think it's one of those things where um, when you say what you say with Phil, when Phil says what he said, it's really hard. To swallow that as a fan and want to you want to support the team you you know deep down probably that what you're doing as far as a boycotting perspective isn't going to make a damn bit of difference or at least that's how I feel so then I'm going to give a terrible analogy of the day and um, hopefully this isn't like uh, I seen traces toxic earlier hopefully this isn't toxic it reminds me of when people that become vegan they have a reason as to why they do what they do and I genuinely understand the concept and the idea of it the issue involved for me is is that there's never going to be enough people that follow that ideology to stop the issue and I guess you could say well that's a pessimistic way of looking at it you're just being if everyone felt that way nothing would change in life and to that that is true but from a Reds perspective, I just can't get behind the notion of, of taking away one of the things that I enjoy, which is going to the ballpark, watching some Reds because of an owner that's a millionaire to be billionaire, sells the franchise, and let them take my joy away, if that makes sense. So since Phil says something stupid, now I then have to in turn not watch baseball, not go to the ballpark, decide I don't like the Reds because of what? That's going to stop the actual issue? It's not. So I guess I'm a sellout. Oh, I have no I have no problem going to a Reds game. Like all these people that want to say, you know, I'm not going to a Reds game, I don't want to support like okay all right 
Like, my $9 that I'm paying to sit five rows behind the dugout, I'm going to take advantage of that as much as I can until the Reds get good again and I can't do that. Because there will be a day, and that day is hopefully not too far away, where I can't do that anymore. But for now, I can use a $10 bill and put my feet on the dugout. Can't do that many other places. Can't do that many other places. And I will continue to do that when, uh, you know, until, until I can't anymore. I mean, I can seriously go have – Reed and I had this discussion, I don't know, a few weeks ago. I can seriously have an entire experience at the Reds for under $20 in a night and, and have – and sit in the fifth row. So you're clearly one of those guys that decides to buy a ticket and then moves wherever you want, which is perfect. I, I don't even look at the ticket. I walk up to the box office. I say, give me the cheapest thing available. I stick it right in my pocket once I walk through the gate and immediately walk down right behind the dugout, and nobody says a word. It's awesome. Paul Fritscher it's awesome. is gonna he's gonna be on the bulletin boards of every ticket taker and or Usher. uh, Usher's locker on opening day. It's gonna <laughs> no, say, You see one, this no guy sure. known to wear Xavier hoodies, <laughs> sometimes has hair brushed, sometimes does it. But he will be storming down towards the Reds dugout right behind the bench touting the fact that he can pay $10 and, and sit wherever he wants. We will not have that. When you see me, you think problem. That's what you see when you see me. Public disturbance and problem. Paul Fritschner. Sitting behind the dugout. I mean, man, if they want to kick me out from behind the dugout for $10 when I'm trying to actively support them, I mean, all the power to them, man. Big, big problem, Paul. <laughs> yeah. That's it. It's a good point. That's what they say. One other thing to note is that there's going to be a Chick-fil-A now, I guess, at the ballpark. That's exciting news. Is that exciting news? Come on. <laughs> Why in the hell is that headline news in the first place? That seems like some PR stunt that Chick-fil-A decided the only way they were going to possibly put their location in the ballpark as if it came with a PR stunt from whoever it was. I don't know if it was the Reds. I don't know if it was some other, you know, uh, what would that be called? The uh, food food agency that's involved yeah. there? Oh, it's like uh, Aramark. Aramark. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say Aramark. Yeah. Fun story. I'm going to tell you a little fun story. Why not? We got a little bit of time today. So okay. back in the day, I... Uh, I was uh, a little bit of what I would call a go-getter. I played for a... I'm going to leave out all the names if I can because uh, I don't want anybody to feel like I'm being disrespectful. But I played for a school that didn't have a whole lot when it came to uh, the things that I would come to expect that a college baseball program would have. So I said, to hell with it. We'll fundraise. I'll fundraise. I'll get all of our team. We'll fundraise together. It'll be just the players. I don't need the coaches. I don't need the administration. I don't need anybody. Just, just the players. I'll make the schedule. We'll do all of it. But the rule is, is that when we make the money, we get to spend on whatever we want to spend it on. That's simple. Um, so I started doing some digging, and I realized that you could be, go and you could do, run the concession stands at said ballpark, right? Either Great American and or at that time it was U.S. Bank Arena. Now it's Heritage Bank. Don't want to mess anybody on their naming rights. But... Cyclones games is what we ultimately ended up doing. 
And the way that would work is, is you would walk into the, the, the concourse area or underneath the, the basement and you would go into this dungeon room and you know, this is our first time doing it. And they're like, okay, here's how it works. And clearly very disorganized. It might've gotten better. This was a long time ago. Um, disorganized people runner everywhere. You could tell they were kind of an understaffed situation. So they hand you a bunch of cups and they tell you, Hey, these are your draft cups for your beer. This is your cups for your sodas. You have two different cups, one cups for sodas, one cups for beer. Okay. And at the end of the night, you bring us all of your cups back and then you give us the money that you made. We then send you a check for X percentage of whatever your sales were, right? Now, when you do the math on this, it's quite frankly a scam. If Reed Mouse knew about this, he would call it one of his top five scams because at the end of the day, when you add up all of your labor and manpower that you sent to run those concession stands, you, you figure out the check that you got back, the amount of hours you worked. It was nothing more than a good measly $3.50 an hour. However, got to be honest on this show, and I'm going to give it to you straight right now, and hopefully there's no repercussion of doing this. But you come to realize that there's a system in play here, a loophole, as they might use in Washington, that when you go down there and you get your cups, you quickly realize that if you sell out of said cups you must then get more cups to be able to continue to sell draft beer. So it just so happens on dollar beer night, as many of you, $2 beer night now, as you said, Paul. Inflation. That's right. That's your guy, Reed. Is that we ran out of beer cups very quickly one night. Very, very quickly. Then me and Matt Mays goes by Booby Mays. We're working that night, and we had a decision to make. What do you do when you run out of draft beer and you got a line out the door? You start selling that beer in soda cups. And it just so happens that those soda cups, right, cost less than the actual soda or the beer that night, right? So you, we realized that there was an accounting flaw that came with these said cups. And if you sold on any other night outside of dollar beer night, draft beer into a soda cup, there was a large discrepancy between how much money you should have when you go back to the counter. <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying? I'm following we're going, where we're going here. <laughs> Let's just say that we made one hell of a night down there at U.S. Bank on one of those on one of those promotional giveaway days, and you know you can say whatever you want. We just made sure that we got a fair deal. It's as simple as that. But I wonder if they ever fixed that problem. Do you think that they ever fixed the problem? Do you think that they continue to sell? Um, do they continue to inventory in such an archaic way? What a terrible way to do business, by the way. Could you imagine? That was before all of these like credit card machines, though, right? That they, they could probably do proper inventory. Yeah. When did you say this was? Oh man, you're gonna date me a little bit here, but I want to say it was like 2009. Oh yeah, that's way before, right? Maybe not. No, nah, I mean I 2000. Feel, they had way. credit card machines. Yeah, but yeah, they yeah, didn't, yeah, yeah. They, they, they yeah. didn't have like the ones where you know you could leave a tip on and all that fancy stuff. Yeah. Um. 
but I digress. Uh, I, go ahead. I, I, I see Reed bringing up – I'll tell this one real quick. Reed bringing up that Great American Ballpark is the Wrigley Southeast. So back in 2012, I think it was 2012, might have been 2011, the Nationals had uh, – they were coming off the 2009 and 2010 seasons, which were at that time the worst seasons – you could even imagine. I mean, I would say the worst seasons in team history, but they had only at that point been around for four years. But I mean, we went down to spring training in 2009. There was barely anybody there. You could do whatever you wanted. It was, they, they were a terrible franchise at that point. They had no prospects of winning until they then drafted Steven Strasburg, Bryce Harper. Things started to turn around. Well, Philadelphia is not that far from DC. It's only about two hours. Little, it's, it's much closer than Chicago, but it's still a drive. Whenever the Phillies would come down to play in D.C., it would be exactly the same experience as what happens when the Cubs come down to Great American Ballpark, where it is all Cubs fans to the point where when a Cubs player does something good, you have that thought in the back of your mind, is he going to go take a curtain call or an opposing ballpark? So the Nationals ran this promotion in, I think, 2012, and they called it the Take Back the Park promotion, and they basically just promoted the hell out of this weekend this one weekend in may of 2012 where the phillies were coming to town and they flooded the park with nats fans they ended up making the playoffs that year and it's been even ever since i mean it's or even or obviously in favor of the nats ever since with now the phillies being a little better as a, as a franchise but at that point it was a nationals run through the nl east for the next few years and uh, I, I think about that a lot when I go down to Great American and they're playing the Cubs, and it is just flooded with the with the blue of the Cubs. And you're thinking, what are they going to do one day when they have to do a when when they're good enough to be in a position to do a like a take back the park type promotion, which at the time sounded cheesy, but it did work. And uh, you know, no hate on that end as a Nationals fan. Then it, it, no no hate there, but at some point. At some point, if you're the Reds, you're going to have to do something about this because it is always the Cubs. And I don't really have a stake in the game. I I, I always just kind of get a kick out of it, but it is it is what it is. At some point, you're going to have to make a move there. So what did they do in, what did they do in D.C. to, to I'd have make to, sure that it was the Nats fans that actually got in the park? I'd have to go back and look and see if maybe they made it harder for Phillies fans to buy tickets. You know, did one of those things where, like, geofence the tickets or whatever. Yep. Tracy Jones is a big yeah. fan of geofencing tickets. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah, I don't remember what they did. Uh, I don't know if they made it easier if you had a national zip code to buy tickets. I don't remember what they did. I could go back and look. I remember they wrote an article about it. Um, but I just remember that they made it extremely easy for anybody that was a Nationals fan to get in the park, and they packed it out. And it was a great weekend. It was a lot of fun. I don't remember how the Nats played, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, th but the Reds got to do something there. They got to do something. Yeah, and I see in the chat, we're getting into this debate of whether or not Cincinnati is a baseball town. The fact that Reds opening day is on Thursday and the fact that I would like to keep um, what I would consider the vibes uh, at a relatively high, positive high, is um, I've been disappointed in the past by the Reds, the, the, the Reds fans' commitment to going to the ballpark when they were good. Um, I'm not going to tell anyone how to spend their money. I'm not going to tell anyone that they they have to go down there. But but there's no question about it. Even when the Reds were good, 
there was still a large amount of fans that would be there from St. Louis and also from Chicago. Um, so I digress. I'm not going to get into how they could fix it, but I do think that there's something to be said about the idea of this year doing some different things. One thing that the, um, that I don't know if you've seen, but the guardians did the, the $50 standing room only tickets. Did we talk about on that? That we talk about that on Friday, I believe mm, uh, you, uh, maybe not. You weren't here, right? But the Reds have enough standing room only spots to do something similar to what the Cleveland Guardians did, which is for $50 a month, you can go in there every day, get a ticket as a standing room only, and it only costs you $50 for the whole entire month. That's obviously also a ploy and a play on the idea of just getting people into the ballpark to then make money off concessions, which has always been one of those weird things that I have never really delved into the finances on because Aramark is the company behind the scenes that actually manages and runs all of the concession stands. It's not the actual Reds themselves. However, it's a third-party entity, like many third-party entities that big corporations use. I wonder if there's a revenue split that comes from that that comes back to the Reds. But I also wonder if it's just a flat fee that they get every month to be a part of, you know, basically to to have the rights, if you will, to sell uh, food and beverage inside of Great American Ballpark. Do you feel like that would even work in a city like this? I would think that $50 a month would actually, how do I say this? If you live downtown, I think it's worth it. But for the vast majority of people, they're going to look at $50 a month like I would, and they're going to say, I'm only going to be able to get down there two times at most, three times maybe at most. At most. At most. Three times a month at most. That puts me at whatever. I'm, I'm looking at least $15, maybe $20 a ticket based off how many times I go within a month. And then you add that up to the fact that you can just, as you've said before, get a ticket for $10 and get in there anyways. I don't know if it's worth it. The other thing that it would do, though, if you made standing room only for $50 a month, is it would put a lot of pressure on the on the ushers. It would. I mean, now, whether or not that's a big deal or not, I don't know. But trust me, you're not the only one that buys a ticket and just walks wherever you want and sits down. Yeah. So you imagine being able to get $50, all you can get tickets for $50 a month. And by all you can get tickets, I mean you can go to the game every single day that they're home, one ticket per person. If you lived at the banks in one of those apartments and you were like a a fan, if you were under 40 years old and you lived at the banks in one of those apartment complexes, or if you lived close enough that it wasn't such an inconvenience to go down there, then I think it'd be worth it. Like if I lived above Tin Roof or Holy Grail, I would probably pay that and just go over there every night for a few innings. But outside of that, having to drive down there, no chance. There's no chance I'd make it to – I would not make it to enough games to make it worth it. You know one thing about ushers really quickly while we're on the subject that kind of uh, irritates me? And they have a job. I, 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 don't, I don't have anything against them. They, they, they have a job, and some of them take it very seriously, and maybe they should. But also feel the room. Read the room, right? Like – Similar to what I said at the beginning of the show with the referee, 
know the situation. If there's 5,000 people at the ballpark, okay, we're not checking tickets. You just don't. If someone's causing an issue or someone has a ticket and they go to try to sit in said ticket and the people that are in the seats of that person of said ticket don't want to move, then you do your job. But for the vast majority of people that go down there right now and they want to sit wherever they want to sit, just let them sit there if they're not bothering anybody. Maybe that's the wrong take, but my gosh, it's like you try to go sit out in the moon deck and just enjoy your day. And you, hell, I, I've had it happen before where I've had tickets, you know, not want to say it in the infield box or whatever, like the field box, whatever they call it in the quote unquote better seats. And I just want to walk around. I want to check out different views of the ballpark. I just, I'm just trying to really leisurely enjoy my day. And I just want to sit down for whatever, a half inning and watch a game from a different spot. And you got guys out here like, let me see your ticket. It's like, dude, there's 5,000 people in here. But you don't want to seem like an asshole, like you're not a rule follower. So you can't really argue with them, right? You no. just you just got to you just gotta bite your tongue and move on. No, no, you know, you do what I do. Oh, no, I lost my ticket. I lost my t- – I'm sorry, man. Let me go see if I dropped it up there. And then you walk to a different section. That's what I do. <laughs> Fall. You're looking at the ticket. I've only ever Fall. had that one Fall's time in the Reds. Seasoned professional. At if, doing this, clearly he's got takes, he's got ways, he's got he's got he's got a way to be able to get himself in and out of situations. That's you know that's well, a true conman. And you got to be friendly right with the usher when you walk down there the first time. You know you, you 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 walk down the first time with food in your hand, so you can't reach in for your ticket. So you walk in, you know you're gonna get food anyway. So you walk in, you got food in your hand. They don't ever bother you if you got food in your hand because they don't want to make you put it down. You got maybe a beer or whatever. So you walk in, and then you're super friendly with the usher. You're like, hey, hey, how are you? And then when the first time you go up and you walk to the bathroom, you know, hey, how you doing? And then they remember your face. They remember you were sitting there. And you just keep walking back down to your own seat. Oh, yeah. It's a system. It's a science. It's not that hard. All it takes is being friendly to a stranger. And that help you out. They're glad you're there. They want support. They're glad you're there. Come on, everybody. We're good. The other thing about ushers and I will move on from another subject after this point, is that I don't need my seat wiped down. I know that's part of the job. But nothing worse than not having cash, which I don't carry cash. And the usher takes your ticket and then rushes down to your seat, cleans your ticket, cleans your seat off for you. And they like, I mean, you know they're expecting a tip. I mean, they 100% in their mind are like, I'm going to get a tip from this, or I should. And when they don't, and rightfully so, maybe I shouldn't feel as bad, but when they don't inevitably get a tip from me because I don't have cash on me, I feel like an, I feel like I'm a bad guy. Like, And I'm the one there trying to support the team. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I, I, I don't ever carry cash. No, I, I, I don't ever carry cash. That's That's tough. Favorite thing in the ball. By the way, Casey McAllister. Yeah. How many games have you truly been to? And this isn't like a ploy of whether or not you're a bad person or not. Genuinely, how many baseball games have you been to in the past five years? Reds baseball? Yes. Um, At Great American Ballpark. The last five years? I could I could have a lot more if it was the past ten years. If it was past ten years, I've probably been to like ten. Past five years, it's probably like two. Maybe. 
And when you went to these said games, you just there wasn't uh, there was there was little to no enjoyment there, or it just kind of is what it is. Like it would it be like me going to an FCC game where I'm just kind of sitting there and I'm just looking around. I'm like, oh, this is a neat stadium. But outside of that, I would say the majority of those tickets were nosebleeds. Hmm. So you're not getting really a, a great perspective of the game, but a lot of it was with family or friends and. For someone that didn't really care about baseball too much, you're just sitting there chit-chatting about other stuff. And when something happens, you know, you, you cheer and whatnot. But most of the games I went to, not full. The last game I went to was the, uh, the Zoo Day at the Reds Stadium. And it was actually kind of full. And it wasn't too bad of a game until, like, the seventh, eighth inning when they really started to lose. But the zoo, what is the Zoo Day? Like, the um, zoo employees? The zoo employees will bring some of the smaller animals like snakes and turtles what? and yeah, they bring like the eagle and whatnot and they snakes. Yeah. No. What do they do? Let them slither around on the infield? Well, they'll do like so. <laughs> I'm surprised you never heard of this. So they they go out from the outfield and they walk the entire stretch of the the baseball diamond. Snake on a leash? No, they're carrying it like by hand. It's not like it's like this crazy a, or anything. It's, well, I mean, I'm just trying to get the concept of like they got like a boa constrictor like just hanging over their neck. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and they got other animals, other reptiles, and other mammals. And, and <laughs> now that would make <laughs> Boom Chakalak or Everett <laughs> makes a great point. That would make the Reds game interesting. You throw a little billy goat out there and just let him run. Go out in the outfield. Players, players got to navigate their way around a boa constrictor. Maybe an eagle flies down, perches himself out on the outfield grass. Why not? Now we're talking. Now we're talking about serious entertainment. Could you imagine? Harone <laughs> just chilling in the bleachers. Hey, man. Silverback. Can you? Can you imagine throwing two bows out in the middle of the outfield and they just are there the whole game? One, Peter would be on that ass in a heartbeat. Two, two, That's that would be the most entertaining baseball game in the history of baseball games. Could you imagine the center fielder like starting to get strangled after going for a ball because he dove and laid out and he just happened to land right next to a boa? That's, that's funny, but probably there's a reason they don't do it. I don't know what. Why do we find so much enjoyment, perhaps, and funniness out of other people, other people's severe danger? I don't know. Human beings are weird. We're a different. Uh. We're a different creature. Um, I don't want to talk too long on this because I said I wouldn't, but I genuinely can't believe you think that the that the Bengals are going to bring back Joe Mixon for twelve million dollars. Well, are you just, been, have you been brainwashed by Zim or what? No, it just makes too much sense because. What? They've said time and time again. Why would we think? What sense does it make? Why would we think anything differently of a guy that's been a leader in this locker room who's been here since day one? They don't generally cut people. That's not their mo. They don't generally restructure contract. They usually honor agreements. And on top of that, Joe Mixon. You're not gonna find a Joe Mixon. He's not lost a step. Oh, please. He's not. And Hasn't the only lost thing, a step. The only thing that Bengals fans are trying to do is replace Samaje. And I totally agree. We should replace 
a guy Samaj's caliber with Ezekiel Elliott. But let's not sit here and act like you're going to find a guy in the draft that's going to fill in all those needs, who's going to be better than Joe Mixon running the football, catching the football, and pass blocking. Because one, most of these guys can't pass block right out of college. Neither can Dude. Joe Mixon. I'm, yeah, that's what I'm saying is why are we looking why are we looking for a guy in the second round or even the first round for that matter? Why are we looking at Gibbs? It doesn't make any sense. Joe Mixon's a top ten pass catching back already as it is. Are you and, suggesting that Gibbs wouldn't be an upgrade over Mixon right now? I'm saying that it'd be Say it out very, loud. You'd be very hard pressed to have to have Mixon not be your starting running back. You'd be very hard pressed. I can't I, do it. I, I even went as far as to look at the this. numbers compared to the offensive line. You know that we ran probably like 60% of the run plays to the left side. Casey? Where we have the smallest tackle in the whole NFL. Talk to me, Casey. Who can't who can't pass block, who can't run block. Oh my gosh, I can't stand Jonah Williams at this point. I've done too much research into this. He got hit in the backfield way too many times. I can't tell you how many times he got hit in the backfield. I don't have the all the stuff I researched in front of me. But every time he ran on the left side, before he even hit the line of scrimmage, he's probably getting tackled. I'll just put it like that. You run to the right side? Yeah, sure. Well, guess what? When... We so started losing guys on the right side. Joe Mixon started doing worse. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? So you're saying a guy that you're going to pay $12 million. I'm not saying. Is only, his only chance of success is predicated off of other guys, which is which is obvious with, when it comes to offensive line and running backs to a certain extent. But you're discrediting his talent by basically saying that it was because of the line as to why he wasn't successful or was successful. It's as simple as that. So go out and find a guy that's – that doesn't cost $12 million and move on. No, because if you do, I have, want you to say something out loud there, yeah. just so we have it on record. Yeah. You think that Gibbs is not going to be a better weapon than Joe Mixon this upcoming year as a rookie as a, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, basically, if you're going to pass on Gibbs as a running back, you are also then foregoing his whole rookie contract. But just for the sake of argument, for this upcoming season, I'll even give you that. You think that Joe Mixon is a better option and a more talented weapon than Gibbs. Correct. At this very moment. All right. Well, we'll find out. We'll see. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that they shouldn't try to restructure, but they're just not going to. Like I'm not You're telling me if Joe yeah. Mi uh, and Sir Boy Wonder has a super chat and he's trying to get us off the subject. I get it. I want to get off the subject too, but I just can't believe this is where we're at. I cannot believe and fathom that smart people like you, Casey McAllister, are going to suggest one iota that Joe Mixon is going to get paid $12 million to run the football for the Cincinnati Bengals when he didn't even play half the snaps in the most meaningful game of the year and the guy that you just let walk right over to Denver walked out the door for $7 million. I'm, I'm not ah, twelve you, million dollars is a joke. I'm not telling you that, that that's what they should do. I'm telling you that's what the, that they're going to do. That's what they're going to do. I don't believe that Joe Mixon should be paid twelve million dollars, but it doesn't make sense. 
there's not enough there's not enough there for Bengals fans to be like, oh, they should cut him. We why haven't they cut him yet? They're just not going to. It's not the Bengals MO. So we should just move on from that. It's tired. They're gonna have Joe Mixon on the roster next season. That's a shame. Because I think one thing that Bengal fans are going to come to realize, and they're going to realize fast, is that P. Ryan is a hell of a player. I agree with that. P. Ryan is the best running back they had last year. Take the numbers off the jersey. Take the name off the back. Take the preconceived notions. And, and, and you will, without a doubt, when you watch the game, say, I want Samaj P. Ryan running the football over that other guy. That's nothing against Joe Mixon. I, I, he's a fine player. But all of these guys, they fall off cliffs, man. Running backs don't slowly decline over years. They fall off cliffs. Let's not act like Joe Mixon isn't getting another year older either. I just don't understand how... How twelve million dollars is even a realistic? It's not. That's not even on it. It's not even. On, it's not even on the table. It's can not. I, it's not even on the table. Can I reformulate what I my opinion on this? Because I do think, what I do think is that twelve million is too much for Joe Mixon. I don't think the Bengals will cut him. I don't think that is in the in the cards for them. I do think they'll try to restructure. He'll probably say no. They'll try to get a running back. In the fourth through sixth rounds, or the seventh round, I don't, it doesn't matter. They're going to not spin a premium pick, more than likely. And if they do spin a premium pick, that player is not going to get the starting snaps. He's not going to play better than Joe Mixon. But here's my, and I'm not suggesting that the Bengals are doomed. They have Joe Mix, or they have Joe Burrow, excuse me. But I also think it shouldn't go uns, uh, un, un, unsaid that you let two safeties that are important to your team walk largely because of money. And you're going to sit around here and tell me that it's just not a big deal that we're going to keep a guy around here for $12 million to run the football when he proved last year that unless he has a great offensive line or he's getting one hell of a hole opened, he's not making guys miss in the backfield and 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 and. and Doing what you're going to have inevitably next year. You're not hearing what I said, Trace. I said that I think $12 million is too much, but the Bengals will not cut him. So they inevitably you're saying that's a, that, that is a major problem to me then. Yes, I think that I agree with that too. I think that is a problem, but it's just a matter of fact and people should just get over it. That's just not the Bengals' M.O., it's not, it's not what they do. And they don't cut leaders. That's I'm not. Like, yeah. I, 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 I'm going to say something that's disrespectful to Joe Mixon. And I don't mean it that way. But give me a break on the leadership bullshit with Joe Mixon, okay? Joe Burrow doesn't walk through those doors. And Mixon ain't shit. He isn't. He's a dime a dozen running back in this league. That's what he is, man. I watch the league... A good enough of it to know. I don't watch Bengals games and think, Joe Mixon, oh my God, that guy's a game wrecker. He's a game changer. Let's pay him. There's only like two or three of those running backs in the entire league. 
And I don't even have anything against Joe. It's not, I see some people comments that I don't have anything against his character. I think he's been a great person. I think he's played incredibly well when he's been here for a certain extent. But I'm not going to sit here and act like, like that, that, that's even remotely okay. Because it's not. And I, as far as honoring contracts and all that stuff, I mean, that's all nice and well and good. But at the end of the day, what's it really matter? It doesn't. It doesn't. And you know why it doesn't? Because you had two guys that were important to you. Three guys that were important to, important to you that walked right out the door. So as far as that quote-unquote, you know, we do things the right way. Well, I mean, you might have do things the right way. Dax Hill didn't care about it. Jesse Bates didn't care about it. I think you meant Von Bell. but Who did I say? You said Dax Hill. Yeah, I'm sorry. You drafted Dax Hill. Yeah. Von Bell. Excuse me. I, 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 I just cannot believe that, that the Bengals are even – I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're trying to renegotiate the deal, to be fair to the Bengals. Maybe this is taking longer than they wanted to. But I'm going to tell you right now um, – and I'm, I'm not saying it because I'm happy about this either. I'm just saying it because I want you guys to just. And that's fair. L- L- lure, up, lure up says that he disagrees. If you want to build a team, you have to show some loyalty. Okay. Well, the dynasty of the NFL, the team that's shown everyone else that they can win Super Bowls time and time and time again. Yeah, you could say it was Tom Brady. It was the Patriots. Did the Patriots show loyalty to anybody? What did they do with running backs? They literally shoveled them out. There would there, They had running backs that would run for 200 yards in a game, and they literally wouldn't even play but two snaps the next week. So before we sit here and act like loyalty matters, it just doesn't. As much as we would all want it to matter, I don't think it matters one iota. It doesn't matter when it comes to winning football games. It doesn't. The Chiefs got rid of Tyree Kill, and guess what? They still figured it out. They have no running backs. They bring in Pikachu. Next thing you know, Pikachu looks like a star. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I hope I'm wrong for the Bengals' sake, but it's been a bad offseason. You can say whatever you want. They've lost a bunch of guys that are relatively meaningful to that, to, to, to that roster. And as far as quote-unquote replacing those guys, yeah, maybe there's a plan in place to replace them, but they've not done it yet. And until they replace them, because you could sit here and say the draft, you might replace some guys from the draft, but how many of these guys are actually going to be, you know, starters day one, impact players? Maybe one one guy from this draft, maybe two? I don't know. I mean, we all want, and I say we all as if, like, you know, Bengals fandom, for the most part, I feel like they would take Dewan Jones right now, right? Would we agree with that? Well, I, I think that that opinion is... Waning? Waning because of his pro day. He showed up apparently kind of overweight. Gotcha. Just like your tackle from 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 yeah, from, I, from from Oklahoma that everybody I, was down about. And I just agree. so happens to be the biggest signing Orlando Brown. I know, Trace. So, I'm go ahead. Saying, I'm just saying a lot of Bengals fans that are more uh, prominent on Twitter, like Joe Goodberry and other guys, are waning off of that take. I would still take them based off of just film. That's my take on that. But I think I think now what most people are saying is just BPA. 
which could be tight end, could be corner, could be edge rusher, could be Michael tackle. Mayer. But okay, well we'll find out. I, I, I if I was a Bengals fan, I'd be I'd be a little concerned because if you're if you're not going to spend the money on bringing some of those guys back that are relatively important or at least you would consider important, then what's the point of saving money? I guess it's to sign Joe Burrow. Yeah, right. I agree with that. I mean, it, it's cool to have a bunch of money in the bank, but if you never go to the bank to get any of the money out, then what's it matter how much money you have in the bank? I agree with that. It doesn't. So, we'll see. I mean, the Bengals are in a good spot because they got all their star players on, on you know, the rookie contracts. We all know this. But if you don't take advantage of it, then, then it's relatively worthless. We'll find out whether or not I, – I just – I don't know. I, I just – you know what it reminds me of? I get passionate about it because I do think that this is what happens in Cincinnati for some reason. It doesn't happen in other towns. We fall in love with these specific players and we hold on to them too long. That's why the Reds are in the position they're in. You, you hold on to Jay Bruce until there's literally no value. You hold on to all of those guys from that class until there's no value. And now we're going to sit around and we're going to hold on to a guy just because he's a quote-unquote leader in the clubhouse and he's been here from the start. And, and, and I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm not trying to be, uh, um, you know, for the most part, an ill-hearted asshole. But I also am going to be realistic and tell you that Joe Mixon is literally an average running back at best in this league. Average at best. Hmm. So... That's here nor there. Agree to disagree on that, but we'll find out. I mean, if he was so damn important, then he would have been in the game when the games mattered the most in Kansas City, and he wasn't. So then, if that's the case, if you're telling me that he is that guy, then then you have a severe issue on the offensive side of the ball. Who's calling plays? It's either Zach Taylor and or Callahan. Whose problem is it? I would say it's play calling, but... That's a whole different discussion. All right. Well, we, the, the beautiful thing is, is we get to find out. That's why they play the games. This is one big old soap opera. Um, all right. Final notes of the day. Tom, as we've said many times before, but we'll reiterate this. Tom is out this week. He is on spring break with his son. They are enjoying, I think, another lavish vacation with a bunch of families i was talking outside of the office i don't know how how uh, many of you are and it doesn't mean i don't enjoy company because i do but i'm not much of a vacation goer in a big house with a bunch of families type of guy it just seems as if you always got to pander to everyone else and you got to figure out what everyone else is thinking. You don't want to overstep your bounds. It's like, hey, where are we, what are we going to do for breakfast? And then it's got to be this long, drawn-out conversation. Same with dinner. Then you inevitably got to kind of socialize from time to time with people that you otherwise probably wouldn't. Thoughts on that? I've never done it. I've never done like a big I've done, I mean, obviously, like, gone to a beach house with my family and cousins and everybody, and we've all gotten together. But as far as, like, friends and a big group of people, never done it. 
I was talking. It's funny you bring that up. On the way home from Kansas City uh, on Saturday, we were talking about Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and I was saying how I went to Gatlinburg two years ago uh, with Lizzie, my girlfriend. She and I went down there for a few days, and I had never been, and I have no interest in going back. I didn't enjoy it. I liked Gatlinburg better than I liked Pigeon Forge. We stayed in a cabin in Gatlinburg, but I didn't really like it. I thought it was kind of touristy, whatever. But I did say if we went back, I would enjoy going with a big group of friends and you get a cabin and you, you make more of like a cabin, big group, fun experience out of it. But I've never done a, I guess, like my family, we never did a, if we, like if we went on vacation, like I talked about last week, like our, our family vacations were... My dad would have a conference in Colorado, and my mom would say, hey, Paul, the three of us, you, me, I'm, I'm an only child, so the three of us could go out and, and have a vacation together. That was the family vacation. We didn't get together with a bunch of families and, you know, go down into the woods or, or do anything like that. But I don't – so I don't know. I don't know. It seems like – it seems like it'd be a lot of work. It seems like – because what I – my experience of it, like going with a family to the beach, is you could just all go to the beach – you come back, you're a little tired, you take some showers, get the sand off, you cook some cook some dinner outside, have a beer or something, have some fun, but I don't know. Where where did where did he go? Was it I don't know the city uh off the top of my head. I know it was down south pretty good, I believe in Florida. Um Boca Raton I I've almost F A U Boca Raton? I, I, I don't think it's F A U I, I almost think that FAU's uh, got that city ingrained in my head, so I don't think it's right. Do you know Casey? Casey might know. I, I, I didn't think it was Florida. It's Maybe not Florida. It, Maybe it's not Florida. I don't yeah. know. Trace, Trace doesn't know relatively anything at this point. I'm just trying yeah. to keep going. Joe, the Joe Mixon thing really has my brain in, in, in scrambled eggs mode because I just I, I, I just can't believe that, 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 that it's, 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 it's even up for debate that, that – He's going to get paid what he's expected to get paid this upcoming year. And I don't, we're going to get off this subject and topic. I'm not going to do it again. But I don't know. You're saying it's not in Florida. Were you guys speculating where Tom's going? Yeah. Yes. Where is it? You know. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So he's going big league. You couldn't pay me enough to do that. You, 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 liter you literally could not pay me. To go on a trip with ten other families to another country. Not happening. It's not happening. I mean, I mean maybe those ten families are great, but I'm just saying there's way too many dynamics at play there. All I mean, it takes it's a tourist area, right? It's not it, like uh, uh, it's not like you're going into something where it's super hard to navigate. Where? Right? The Dominican Republic. Oh, like the area never, that he's going to. Been. It it's not it's like yeah. Brenny! And you know, it's, yeah, hopefully my wife never takes me down to the DR because I will absolutely want to leave a resort or wherever it's staying and find a ball game. Just some pickup ball game that kids like, these little 13-year-old kids just go over the screen and watch me. In my mind, that's what the Dominican Republic is. It's just a bunch of 13-year-old kids playing baseball out in the corn, out in the fields. Is your mic plugged in? Yeah. You sure? Uh -oh. Yeah. Uh, now it is. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Mics are smashing My, the chat. Mics all over in the chat. Mics all over in the chat. Casey uh, had him muted. No, I didn't. Casey, I had him Casey pulled the... Uh, you Do know, you want me to unplug you it? Don't, plug it back no, in? I can hear you now. No. I think it's working. 
Casey pulled a trick of this. You know, you know, we've all done it. We've all been there. He pulled the trick, which is you sit down in a seat. We'll bring this ushers topic back up one more time. Box lunch is going to be uh, uh, hosted and produced and ran by none other than Reed Mouse today. We'll see what kind of takes he has. But um, to bring ushers back into the fold, when you're sitting in the in said wrong seat and you know you're not in the right seat, and the usher comes down and he's like, "Hey, I need to see your ticket." And you know you're in the wrong seat. You pull the, you pull the, oh, oh, these aren't, this isn't my seat. This isn't my seat. I thought this was, I thought this was section 124. No, oh, this is, no, this is only whatever, section 10. <laughs> and next thing you know, you're just, you're just getting out of there. I'm pretty sure, and I don't want to put you on the spot, Casey, but I think Casey, he had one of those buttons muted and he's like, oh, is your mic plugged in? <laughs> Tell the truth, Casey. <laughs> that is not what happened. I didn't. But I didn't. This I, thing I was plugged in. This thing is plugged me. in. You know what's funny about you guys talking about, uh, you know, sneaking down and, and getting better seats? My wife, Mariana, spazzes out when we do that. I mean, she's – there's not a person who looks more guilty than my wife when we're sitting down in the front. I mean, we'll sit up there. There will be a 1,000 people in the stadium, and she's doing one of these the entire time. Any person that comes near our section, she's like, "Are they going to sit in this seat? Are they going to going to sit in this seat?" And I was like, "Mariana, if they do, we just move." I don't like like we're not getting arrested here. I mean, like you literally, if if we're sitting in someone's seat, here's what happens: they're going to come up and be like, "Hey, I think you're sitting in our seat," and we're like, "Oh, I'm sorry." They know the game. They know what's up. So so at in uh, Greensboro, so you in the media seating, you have like assigned seats everybody has their little name placard on there for you know your name and your outlet well in greensboro for the sunday session i had a seat across from one of the benches for the friday game but on the sunday game they had me up in the auxiliary section which was like behind the basket mm -hmm. and usually you know if what they'll do because it's all one session is they'll have the other team's writers they'll have a spot for the game so i'm sitting there thinking well, I'll just sit in one of the other team's spots. But I'm like, God, there's a lot of writers here. Like, am I going to – this is – so I'm sitting there. The entire court, probably 50, 60 seats of media, I picked the only seat where the guy didn't show up. It was the Louisville Courier-Journal. And I was like, you know what? Kentucky's playing after. Probably not going to show up for this game. Louisville Courier-Journal. Why, why is this guy going to show up? But the whole time, I'm kind of going – my God, please don't show up. Please don't show up. <laughs> Three minutes and 30 seconds left in the game. I feel a tap on the shoulder. Hey, that's my seat. Can you please get up? I'm going, oh, my God. Like, that was the point where Xavier wasn't making any shots. Pitt was right. coming back. It was, like, kind of getting a little dicey. And I'm like, I have nowhere to go. I felt homeless. I had nowhere to go. <laughs> and somebody, like, three seats down to my left got up. I was good. I had a seat. And I just moved. Nice. And then, oh, my God, I'm nice. sitting there. So, so I'm doing the, I was doing the Mariana the whole time. I'm going, <laughs> Please, nobody show up. Nobody she, show up. You, 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 can't, you can't even sneak down because she, like, just draws every red flag that the usher sees. I mean, she's she's looking both ways. I oh, mean, it's just man. Like, man. Oh, come on. Just walk down. Just walk down. If they tell us to leave, we'll go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, all, it's all not that, that big a deal. Which brings me to uh, my, my final point. Um, sometimes blessings are in disguise, right? So one time last year we were at the um, – Bush Stadium, St. Louis Cardinals uh, home field, for those that aren't familiar with baseball stadium names. And I actually had purchased tickets, 
And for some weird reason, from the digital's perspective, I won't call out the name of the company because I don't know free ads on the show, but <laughs> they had an issue with the way the ticket works. So I actually paid for the tickets. The tickets, for whatever reason, weren't scanning appropriately. Mm. I didn't have time. I was with my family, obviously. And the last thing you want to be doing um, with three kids and a wife going to a baseball game is sitting there trying to figure out this ticket situation for 30 minutes. I was like, I'll just, I'll, so I just bought a whole new set of tickets, cheapest tickets I could find. They were obviously in the upper deck. The, the tickets I had previously were kind of in the outfield. So I assumed that the tickets in the outfield were better. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to use the tickets that I had purchased before. Right. I'll go to those. I'll figure it out. Sure enough, to wrap this show up, I go to sit in the outfield seat tickets. I show the guy the the receipt, and he's like, well, you got to show me the wallet. Like, you, it, it's got to be your tickets. It got to be in, in your wallet on your phone. I'm like, well, that's that's the that's that's my problem. Is it's not going into my wallet. I have it. There's a digital function going on right now. It's not working appropriately. I paid for these tickets. This guy literally didn't let me go and sit down there. I had like a screenshot from my email of saying I bought the tickets. He's like, no, that's not good enough. You could transfer them. Blah blah blah. I'm like, so I little I. I at that moment, I had a decision to make. Do I embarrass my whole family and just start laying into this usher? Or do I just go to my other seats, which are in the nosebleeds? So I decided to go into the nosebleeds. And I got to be honest. I actually think the viewing experience was better from the upper deck from where I was at at Bush Stadium than what it would have been in the outfield. I, I and, and I felt the same way when we went to the Chiefs Bengals AF, uh, the AFC championship game. I had seats a little higher up. I've had end zone seats before at right. Bengals games. I've been in the lower bowl at Bengals games or football games in general. Being in the upper deck, now not the very, very top, but being in the upper deck, maybe I think I was like 10 rows above the second level in Arrowhead, those were the best football seats I've ever had in my life. Baseball, it's different because you can't, you don't have any depth. When they hit the ball in the air and you're in the top deck, you have no clue if that ball is going 270 feet or 430 feet. Truly. Like, if, if they hit the ball in the air and you're in the top deck, you don't, you don't know where that ball is going. You see the direction it's going, you see it's in the air, but you don't know how far it's going, how well it was hit. You're just reacting to the way that the players are, are positioning themselves to make the play. But you're right. I mean, you go to GAVP, there's, there's not a whole lot of bad seeds. I I feel like if you sit in the upper deck though, to your point, and you watch enough baseball up there, you'll you'll get to feel for how well and not well a ball is hit. Like I, I'm not saying it's as good as being in the lower right. bowl for sure, but um, you know the one thing about baseball is uh, you constantly want to go see a good pitcher pitch, but when you're at the game, you don't really notice how how well a pitcher's pitching. Yeah. You can't you can't see the pitches really well unless you're close to the field, so you really can't see. You know, Max Scherzer dealing out there or something like that. I also think that one of the biggest myths that come with baseball is the term or the phrase of, well, he, you know, he made three mistakes. He only made three mistakes this game. Talk about pitchers when they give up a home run. It's like, that's not true. I mean, guys are missing their spots all the time. It's just whether or not the hitters execute or not execute. Sure. And is there certain games where pitchers do throw well and they don't miss as many spots as they normally would or they don't miss hardly any spots all game? Yes, but I've never heard of a quote-unquote sports phrase overused as much as I hear at the end of a baseball game. He pitched great, just made 
four mistakes. It's like, no, he probably made 30 mistakes and four of them were capitalized on. Um, best, I'm going to end the show on this. Best place to watch Reds baseball in Great American Ballpark. And you can't use the diamond seats and you can't use like the dugout box. That's not fair. I feel like we got to, we got to, or I guess an opinion based thing. Favorite place to watch it from. And, and what do we do on opening day? Do we go in the park or do we not go in the park? Do we make that decision today or do we wait? Like, we don't have to make that decision today. I don't think we should. But I'm going to start. I am going to say my favorite spot to watch a game at Great American Ballpark is the mezzanine. I like uh, I like left field. I, I, I like sitting by the bullpen. I, I'm an outfield guy. Yeah? I'm an outfield guy. The left field used to stink before they put the new video board and right field up. Right, yeah. You could. You always had to Well, you couldn't turn see it neck. if you were five rows back. Right, and, yeah. you always had to turn your neck. The, so there's a spot now where the, the handlebar is. I think I told you this, guys, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to utilize this for Cubs games this year. At the handlebar, down there in the first base line, it's 75 bucks a ticket. You get a buffet before and during the game, and you get six drinks, six alcoholic drinks for your $75 ticket. I don't know about you guys, but that's a, that's a hell of a deal. Say it again. You get a buffet before and during the game. Yeah. And you sit in the handlebar, so you get those like lounge seats like they're chairs. They're not regular seats. They're lounge. And then you get six alcoholic drinks during the game for with your $75 ticket. So as Tom would say, you can get tanked up watching the Reds. That's not terrible. That's 75 for a baseball game, though, is where you're going to lose some people. There's like, I don't really. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, my man Paul over here is getting in the game for $10. He's spending 20 on the way out, and you're asking him to pay 75 So it's probably not going to fly. Well, I would, if you're getting the food and like a nice, comfortable seat, and all it's, that. It's, it, they're couches. Like, like you sit in couches. Wait, am I picturing the handlebar down the first base line? Yeah, where the restaurant used to be. Okay, all right. I'm in the probably, middle deck. I think I'm picturing the wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. I used to sit in those seats. Like I would buy it, and you'd get all you can eat. But it wouldn't. I wouldn't sit in a couch. I would just oh. sit in the seats over yeah. there. I I like those, but I would pay like thirty or forty. Wouldn't pay seventy five. <laughs> Boom Shakalaka drops into the chat. Says Paul's walking up and down the aisles looking to see if there's any food that people. No, I don't do seats. that, but I do collect the souvenir cups people leave behind. I went to when I went to Wrigley Field in 2017 after the Cubs won the World Series. They had World Series cups, and I brought back probably 30 moldy because I didn't wash them when I got back to uh, where I was staying. I was staying at a homeless shelter in in Chicago, and we brought back like 30 World Series cups. Oh, yeah. I, I have a whole collection of Nationals, Reds, Souvenir Cups forever. Oh, yeah. I'm pulling up AccuWeather as we speak. Not sure which, the, which is the best place to go for your weather. But. My gosh. Did you ever, you were talking about Bush Stadium earlier. Did you ever hear the story about how it got named Bush Stadium? I was assuming it's because of Anheuser-Busch. Right. So Anheuser-Busch, their product for the longest time, their, their main product was Budweiser. And it was like the 1940s. They wanted to name their park for the Cardinals Budweiser Park. And Major League Baseball said, you're not allowed naming the stadium after beer. 
Like, we're not going to let you name it after beer. This is a kids-friendly, you know, family-friendly, all this stuff. So what they did said, all right, we'll name it after our family name, the Bushes. So they named the stadium Bush Stadium. Two years later, they launched their new beer line, Bush Beer. Got their, got their way at the end of the day. Smart. Most smart people, well, well-off people are well-off because they're relatively intelligent. Most intelligent people find loopholes. Most intelligent people, if they really want something, they'll find a way. Look no farther than the tax system that we currently have. Um, do the Reds play on April 3rd? Paul. Monday, yeah. They play yeah. the Reds, or yeah. the Cubs. At Great American Ballpark? Correct. Monday. What time do they play? Is that a day game or is that is that that that's that's obviously probably it'd be mid, like it'd a, be in the week so it'd be are we like a four game it'd be a six it'd be a six o'clock start first game of a series all right well we got sixty nine degrees with a three percent chance of rain on Monday okay um that seems like a good day to go to the ballpark the other the other thing is um Opening day is obviously going to be busy. You know, opening day, Everett brought up a great point earlier. Opening day has turned into nothing more than just a way to party. It, it, that's what it is. For, for, for 75% of the people that are down there, it's just an excuse to go have some beverages, enjoy some times with your friends if, 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 if that's of, of interest to you. But as far as the game goes, as far as the actual baseball is concerned, it is, uh, it's not that big of a deal to many. Look no farther than... Probably the sixth or seventh inning, which with the new pitch clock, I'll be interested to see how many crowds stay around with the pitch clock. That'll be, that'll be, I don't know, exciting to see. I don't know. But usually for opening day, it's pretty half empty right around the seventh inning or so. Yeah. Depending on weather, of course. And Paul, your weather earlier. Um, Said 61 and sunny. Yep. And mine. Potential partly cloudy. Mine was, uh, yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to rain and it's going to be 60 degrees. So it's going to be, uh, uh, probably a pretty good time down there at great American. I'm going to try to go in. I, I, I want to go in, but I just don't, I, I'm not going to spend a hundred dollars to get in or whatever it's going to take to get in. How much do you think it's going to take to get in on Thursday? Yeah. I, not much. Yeah. I'd say 25 bucks. I mean, I'm being dead serious. I've been off like. This I'm not like trying to flex here. I've been offered free tickets by people that don't like not people that have connections. People are just like I'm not going. Are you flexing on us? Like yeah, like that. I opened my mouth and I knew where that was going. I'll just shut up. My point is I don't think it will be hard. You wouldn't have if you wouldn't have. Yeah. (laughs) Brought it up first. My point is I will not. I don't think it'll be hard to get in on Thursday. All right. Forty nine bucks right now is what I'm seeing. Okay, that's nosebleeds. Clearly forty nine dollars. Just Maybe that goes up, though, if they have weather it does st- end up staying nice. If it's really nice, you're going to have those people that are, like, down at Holy Grail already, or Moorline, I guess we should probably say, that are down at Moorline on Thursday, and they're going, ah, oh, you know, like, it's a nice day. Are we going to stand out here? We could go in. Might as well go in. Yeah, I, I, it definitely is. <laughs> it's going to be packed. All right. Off the bench is wrapping up. Box lunch is next. Reed Mouse is going to take it away. Looks like we have some fun topics. The Final Four does not stink. I don't believe in that. We'll see what he has to say. Dear Reds fans, that's going to be a treat. Let's listen to this propaganda garbage. And uh, maybe he'll say something nice. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, we'll see. But um, 
I'll be back. Probably be better tomorrow than I was today. That's my goal. And the goal would be to be better on Wednesday than I will be on Tuesday. I'll come with some insightful information tomorrow. I hope to not talk too long about Joe Mixon. But if you have any interest in what to talk about, throw it in the chat. You'll be on here for a little while. Um, we'll try to keep it entertaining, relatively interesting. And I'll try to be insightful as much as I can be. Because one can only be as insightful as intelligent as they are. And I don't know how intelligent I am. Because I got C's, but I did realize that C's got degrees, which got me through school. Hopefully my sons will do a little bit better than me, but the apple doesn't far, fall too far from the tree, as they say, when my son's already crying because he's got to go to school on Monday in second grade. It's a long way home, my boy. All right, Reed. Casey, I hope you got that non-copyrighted Copyright. track ready to rock, baby. I, I'm getting it ready. He's getting it ready. Let me fill some more airtime for Casey McAllister while he gets that non-copyrighted music that you are going to just absolutely be ready to jam to the rest of the day. Why can't we just live in a society where you just play music and it's okay for a small sample of time? It would be a lot more fun. Isn't it wild? Damn musicians not to go get paid. No, now listen, Reed, I get that. <laughs> I'm not naive to this, but I think cooler heads could prevail and say, listen, box lunch isn't making a bunch of money because of the 12 seconds they're playing music or 30 seconds they're playing music. I think we could all relatively agree to that. I think we could all agree that it's probably somewhat ridiculous that we could hold a party, sell a bunch of alcohol, hire a DJ, and they could play their music all day long, and we would make money because people are enjoying that said music all day long. But somehow, that's hard to what I would call govern, so that's okay. But playing some music on YouTube is not good enough. So let's see what Casey has to run. And until next time, I'll see you tomorrow. Do you? Am I supposed to have a cherry on top? Do we have a cherry on top or no? We don't have a cherry on top. Reed is the cherry. By on the top. way, Reed is the cherry on top. I want to say okay. this. I'm, I'm leaving on this. I promise. United Dairy Farmers did re-up. If you have the opportunity to, and I'm not saying do it all at once because that would be obvious. But if you have the opportunity to to pump up UDF from time to time, tell them thank you for making what we do possible. Please do. Is it a prop? No. You see, the, the, there's grinds at the bottom of this. This isn't no prop cup, by the way. I seen those comments earlier in the show. It gets, it gets, is it drink or drink? It's get, it gets drink. I think that's the right term. I'm not sure. That's why I got C's. But nonetheless, Reed Mouse is on his way right after this sweet track. <laughs>